0: You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com.
1: I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola valves dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valves
2: exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out. The wave, an ultrasonic, a and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for my ailments,
1: the health equivalent to Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed, and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my
2: disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve!
1: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now on podcast. I'm Dr. Steve. And this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to so take your uh, to your regular medical provider, or if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347 poohead. head Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor. Nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Uh, for this show, this is a special extra show. We will dispense with the plugs. Although, if you want to go to stuff.drsteve.com and uh, you know do your Amazon shopping there, I won't argue with you. But uh, this week. Um, We have Dr. Arnold Hopland, who is a local physician here, and he's been on the Today Show and a couple of things because he was on the Diamond Princess cruise ship that was in the news, uh, which was uh, the focus of the er very early story of uh, COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the virus called SARS-CoV-2. I wanted to get this out there to you just as quickly as we possibly could. And uh, here's the interview with Dr. Arnold Hopland. You're listening to Weird Medicine. I have the pleasure of having uh, Dr. Arnold Hopland, whose lives have crossed sort of peripherally in the past. He's in general practice in East Tennessee and uh, carries the distinction of being one of the Folk that was uh, on the Diamond Princess um, cruise ship when the uh, COVID nineteen or uh, 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 outbreak uh, started. Um, it, just for baseline purposes, SARS CoV two is the virus that causes COVID nineteen. Doctor Hoplin, how did this start? You're at, you're on vacation. And you're enjoying yourself, and the next thing you know, you're uh, embroiled in a sort of a catastrophe that uh, resulted in you being on this ship for six weeks instead of, what, one week, two weeks, whatever. Yeah, Tell about it, 12 days. Give yeah. us the Reader's <laughs> Digest story of what happened. Well,
2: uh, we embarked on the cruise that was going to leave Yokohama, Japan, uh, going on a. Kawasaki and then, and then uh, and, uh, Hong Kong Vietnam a couple of ports in of Vietnam wow. back to Taiwan very exotic uh, cruise and then uh, 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 back to Japan well <clears throat> the cruise was completed in the normal manner of cruises and we had our luggage in the hallway with tags on it ready to leave the ship in Yokohama Harbor after the cruise was over And the captain announced our uh, disembarkment will be uh, delayed 24 hours while the Japanese health authorities inspect the ship. Okay. So So at this point,
1: you don't know anything's going on.
2: We had no message other than figured maybe they're going to go and see if there were some cockroaches in the kitchen or something. Sure, of course. And uh, so we spent that day... Wandering around the ship, uh, uh, playing some card games and uh and of course, hanging out at the buffet a good part of the time, of course and after dinner at the regular dinner hour, we went to our regular regular dinner seating, and we were asked to go to our cabins. <clears throat> when we got in our cabins, the announcement was made the ship has been placed under quarantine, and you must stay in your cabin for the next two weeks, <laughs> however. We're going to open up the Wi-Fi for everyone, no charge. Okay. Oh. And the ship phones can be used free of charge, and you need some to call home and uh, tell people you're not going to make it home. Okay. Uh, as soon as they made that announcement, I thought we have a problem uh, because this ship clearly is not designed as a quarantine facility. Right. Uh, there's no way to have a red zone to keep some people secure uh, a yellow zone for a suspicious uh, contacts and, uh, and a green zone for the safety. There was no possibility of separating. Everybody was in one zone. So it was not going to be a quarantine. The Japanese said they did not have the capacity to to um, handle so many uh, people. There were about four thousand, forty-two hundred 4,200 people roughly on the boat. So my initial thought was they'll have a sh- short delay while well, they prepare for some shore facilities for quarantine mm-hmm. <clears throat> i assumed that the u.s embassy would immediately jump on the fact that we had almost 400 americans on board and we have a thousand military beds right there in tokyo right be no problem at all uh quarantining the americans right. separately so there was no problem right so i did not I, I thought well okay <laughs> there's gonna be a little delay here and then we'll get off the ship yeah but meanwhile of course uh we had canceled our airline reservation on the 4th of February and uh, rebooked for the 5th. We called the airline again and said, it's going to be a couple more weeks. And they said, tell you what, whenever you find that you can leave, call us and we'll give you full credit and you can fly back. So very helpful immediately. Um, Because the Wi-Fi was operational, I was able to uh, email the embassy. And so I stepped through a couple of things uh, on email to the embassy, never got a response of any kind, uh, identified that we were on the ship and who we were. Um, and then we hunkered down for a couple of days, during which time I tried to use the ship phone about every 90 minutes for three days straight, day and night. Right. The, on the, the phone about, that they said. About the third or fourth day <laughs> yeah. after uh, 4,200 people had uh, gotten done talking to <laughs> right, their right, friends right. and relatives. In the middle of the night, I, about 3 in the morning, I dialed uh, my son, uh, I think it was, it was Steve, who happened to be down in Florida at the moment. Uh, uh, and, and I was about to hang the phone up with another busy signal, and I heard a ring. I thought, well, I got through. I was shocked at it. I told Steve, I said, Steve, you've got to activate my cell phone. I haven't got international calling. He said, I'll get Dewey to do that, and the phone went dead. Apparently, they were, they were cutting the calls to uh, 60 seconds or something. Okay. So we didn't have any conversation. But within an hour, my cell phone was working, and I could call back to the U.S. At that point, it was still daytime, beginning late in the day, by the time i realized that had happened in late in the day here in uh, tennessee we were 14 hours ahead of tennessee in tokyo so i was already could tell you what was going to happen the next day when I called you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how that works. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. So as I talk about what happened, people often say, well, which day did this thing happen? I say, well, where are you at? Right, right, right. <laughs> and so I, be, I kind of got a fuzz about which day, because I was talking about being Wednesday once, the next person I'm talking to, it's it's Tuesday. Right. <clears throat> uh, so it's hard to keep a real you know line-by-line sequence of what occurred. But after I made that first contact... I realized then they intended to keep us in quarantine on the boat, and the all of the communication we got was through the ship's um, paper that they sent out every day saying that you know the u s uh, uh, cDC has recommended that that u uh, s citizens follow the um, dictates of the Japanese health authorities okay when it became apparent that they intended to leave us on the ship, I got uh, I got through to my son, Kenny Hoplin, who's also a, a physician in Elizabethton, and told him the situation. And he immediately saw the same problem I did. This, this can't possibly work. We need to get off that boat and get into a quarantine. And my suggestion is that we be treated exactly like those in Wuhan. By the third day, I think we were up to... Seventy or eighty people out of four thousand yeah. infected, and it was clearly increasing every day, okay so uh, um, I said, we need to be treated like the folk in Wuhan. We need a rescue flight, and then we need to go into quarantine, and those people who are positive need to be treated appropriately, and those who are not need to be quarantined until sure that they're not carrying the virus. So when you say the ship wasn't appropriate
1: for quarantine for a lot of people, they think just keep everybody on there. And keep them offshore so that they're not. To them, that is quarantine. Tell us what you mean by this ship wasn't appropriate. This wasn't the right way to quarantine.
2: People. Well, uh, it, it seems technical, but it's not that uh, you have to. You have to separate groups of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are infected need to be separated from people who might be infected, right. otherwise, or close contacts. And they need to be separated from folk who clearly are not infected okay and so in order to get that group number one is we had been on a 12 day um uh cruise and an individual who had been on the ship uh, it departed in hong kong and that was on day five i think and was found five or six days later to have the covid19 virus okay so we had been exposed for the whole two weeks. Right. Uh, at that time, I didn't know the rate of infection. I have since talked to virologists to say that the average person infected will probably infect a minimum of four people, maybe as high as seven. That's almost hard to believe because smallpox is a factor of two. Right. Measles is a factor of two, and those are highly contagious right. diseases. And we talk about smallpox on this show all the time. And they have geometric. They have geometric uh, um, uh, 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 exposure rates, so it's so quarantines in those cases are hard to control. Mm-hmm. This thing was dramatically more infective. Right. Um, so having that period of time, it was clear that there were probably forty, fifty, or maybe many more uh, infected on the boat because. Uh, the person who was on the boat had no idea that he was infected, and he had interacted in a normal way on a cruise. And in a cruise uh, with the entertainment, everybody's in a small theater um, at the buffet, everybody's uh, uh, next to each other. And, and so there's a lot of close contact, uh, much more so than any other setting I can think of. Uh, so I knew that there were a lot of infected people on the boat, They weren't identified because the Japanese said they were not able to test. So my thought is, we need to get off here. We need to be separated and then properly tested and quarantined, as they did with the Wuhan Mm -hmm. uh, evacuees. Kenny immediately. uh, Oh, uh, another thing about the quarantine, Uh, there are balcony cabins and those balconies are stacked one above the other and right beside each other. And so there's a huge communication, even if people stay in their staterooms. The crew were restaurant and hotel workers, well-trained in cleaning and well-trained in hospitality, but no medical training, whatever. They didn't know how to properly put on a pair of gloves and not contaminate the gloves. Right. Uh, and, and, in effect the gloves they used were these uh, these plastic gloves that tear when you put them on, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Right. Uh, and uh, they they didn't have any uh, legitimate masks. They had the kind of masks that you use, um, uh, painters would use them when they <laughs> mix and paint or something, so they just don't get paint spray in their face. And it was the sort of thing that would be used in the cafeteria serving line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, the quarantine was going to be maintained by non-medical personnel uh, in a setting where they were in complete close contact with each other, working elbow to elbow in the kitchen, and then distributing the food throughout the ship, as as they had never been planned to do. They, and they never got food service for uh, 3,000 passengers on the same day before. And the first couple of days, we got some uh, pretty much thrown together food that was cold and, and two, three, four hours late yeah and the and the ship's uh um uh, stewards and so forth they were just very apologetic about their performance, and they brought it up quickly till we were getting gourmet meals three times a day uh biggest problem was Japanese don't drink coffee and uh and i they had a choice of coffee tea or um water in the buffet and restaurants and so i so I had been drinking. Normally, I would have three or four cups of coffee a day, probably six or eight cups of coffee a day. On the third day, with no coffee, it dawned on me, I've got a dull headache. Uh-oh. And my wife said you're getting a caffeine withdrawal headache <laughs> and and i right right away i right, that had happened to me one time before when i was in a situation where i i was cut off from coffee after drinking large amounts and i quit coffee for a long time because i thought anything that gives me withdrawal symptoms i'm not going to have any part of right since then i've studied coffee And it's the only stimulant I know of that does almost no downside to it except for gastritis and and disturbed sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it can help you to be very alert and problem-solving. As an engineer, uh, I I would tank up with a couple of candy bars and a cup of coffee if I really had a tough problem I was going to work on for six or eight hours. Sure. Uh, I had, interestingly enough, purchased about four pounds of coffee in Vietnam. Vietnam is actually a coffee... Supplier, I wasn't aware of that. And I own a small coffee shop in in uh, Johnson City called Open Doors, uh, run by Michael Marion, and uh, and he is an expert. He asked me to get some Vietnamese coffee for him because I bought the four pounds. That was a lot bigger. Most people bought a half a pound or small little bag. Uh, they threw in a little device for cook uh, for brewing single cups of coffee, <laughs> which amounted to, it looked like be like a small tin cup with uh, tiny holes in the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. You'd put your coffee in, and then you pour the boiling water, which is normally used for tea, over it, and you could brew a cup of coffee. Sure. My wife reminded me of that, and we dug around our luggage, and sure enough, there it was. And so now I could make coffee. <laughs> and it was very good coffee. Very good. And my headache was instantly, But the, the first uh, first cup, I had no idea how much coffee to put in this thing. And so I thought it might take a, quite a bit. And I made uh, about 12 to 14 ounces of a uh, thick syrup that would make uh, uh, espresso at. Uh, uh, at Starbucks seemed quite mild. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was the cure for that. Believe me, that yeah. was the cure for my headache. And I didn't I didn't get shaky or, or tachycardia, but uh, yeah. but it did the job. And my wife tasted it and said that she would rather eat dra- raw coffee grounds <laughs> than drink any of that stuff. <laughs> so, so we anyway. solved the coffee problem. <laughs> right. But that was a big deal. Yeah, sure. A lot of people didn't have that. There were some people who had a worse problem than me. They had an inside cabin. Mine had a porthole, so I had some light. Yeah, probably the safest place on the boat, actually, because the the cabins that had balconies were in con- communication with the cabins next to each other. There were in almost no isolation. Mm-hmm. So I was isolated somewhat, except that 10 times a day or thereabouts, the door was opened while one of the sh- ship's crew brought me something uh, uh, and or, or had to talk to me about something or another. So there was no quarantine, in effect. Yeah. Um, uh, Kenny was able to—that's uh, my son uh, that I called—was able to get a hold of Dr. Phil Rowe, who is a personal friend, <clears throat> physician. He's a
1: congressman. And in, uh, a congressman. In the state of Tennessee. Yeah.
2: And here in the 1st District in Tennessee. So uh, he got Phil, and Phil immediately saw the problem as, a, as I did and as Kenny did. It, I mean, it, it struck me this uh, that a fourth grader with any kind of training at all would have recognized it. And— Within a day, Dr. Cadillac was uh, on the phone with Phil and I, and we talked briefly about the quarantine situation. Uh, I think at that time I told him we were in a Petri dish just waiting to get infected, and we needed a rescue. Uh, Dr. Cadillac said, I'm going to text you a phone number and... uh, and, I'm going to, uh, and I'll text you the time, and I want you to call into this number. We're going to have a conference call. I think it was five, 5 or 6 in the afternoon when he said that. At about 9 o'clock at night in Washington, this is the hard thing to believe. I've never seen anything in Washington move that quick. <laughs> about 9 o'clock that night, there was a physician representative from every significant uh, involved department, Homeland Security, NIH, CDC, um, of course, uh, HHS. And, of course, Phil and we were introduced each other fairly rapidly. There were 10 physicians on board. Mm-hmm. After I described my concerns, the lady in charge or from the CDC immediately tried to take charge of the call and say, we know what we're doing. We're the professionals. We have ranged with the Japanese authorities. They are in charge right now, and they're doing a great job. Everything's fine. All these cases are finding on the boat were infected prior to this quarantine, and everything's fine. Okay. And I asked her about six questions, all of which she answered with, I don't know, or I suppose. Yeah. There were nine doctors that recognized that every answer is inadequate. Uh. Oh, f- f- I think it was uh, 12 hours, 14 hours later, I got a call from Dr. Cadillac, and he said— if we send a rescue flight, do you think people will agree to uh, get on and come back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. for a 14-day quarantine here in the U.S.? And and I said, number one, we, we have to agree to it. Number two, we will all be infected if we stay here. Right. And and uh, so he, he – and I had already talked about that possibility with two or three people because of the earlier phone call. And I was quite sure that people would want to get off that boat. Were, I was not the only concerned person. Um, it took about two days to get all the political handshakes done and actually get the aircraft on the ground uh, to pick everyone up. At, I think, around 6 o'clock at night, we got a note in our mailbox, and it says, no, pardon me, we got a email from the embassy. No direct call ever was made to any individual on the... It's 400 Americans on the boat and the embassy didn't... 900 people working in that embassy and they couldn't contact the people on that boat. Never did. Never did contact. I never got a contact from the embassy that wasn't directed to a Diamond Passenger, a diamond Princess Passenger. Wow. <laughs> and it would be boilerplate plate, sure, generic information, almost no information. But at any rate, it said, you must answer this email... By 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, if you want to take the evacuation flight tomorrow night. No notice that that was even there. And somebody called me and told me there was an email waiting for me, or I wouldn't have even known that that had to be done. Wow. And of course, I called everybody I knew on the ship, and, uh, and it got around the ship. And I think... Could I they think not make Diamond, an announcement over the... No, they did not. It didn't make an announcement over the PA there, uh, because it was just for the Americans. Oh, okay. And, gotcha. Uh, oh, I see. Anyhow, uh, so I... I gave the information, uh, you know, passport numbers and everything, and, and they asked all kinds of things. They wanted your birth date and then they wanted your age, like they couldn't do math. Uh, it was a, a little absurdity. But I provided all the information in email, and they, and they said, uh, give an email for each passenger that wants to go. So I did a separate email for myself and then another for my wife. Mm-hmm. I got no response on the one that I sent for my, my wife, which I did first. But when I sent mine in, I got an automated reply that says, email received. And I thought, which it. email? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't specified. And so I re- resent my wife's thinking, well, I had sent the most recent one. No response to that at all. Hmm. Uh, so the communication with the embassy was pathetic. Uh, we then packed our bags. We each had two suitcases. So we had four bags Packed everything in them except a few things we put in a in a big purse to take on the airplane. We set the bags. And, oh, and the Diamond Princess did um, at that point uh, uh, send an email around saying you have been scheduled to go on the evacuation flight and gave us luggage tags to put on our luggage. Do you know when what the date of this was? I, I wish I could do That's okay. this better, but I would say it was about the eighth. I'm looking at a it press may be on the 20th. I'm looking at the press release from the CDC from February 18th. I think it might have been the 18th. Yeah, yeah. And the CDC, uh, on that, they opposed it so strongly that they said, we don't want our name on it. Yeah. They're saying uh, to protect the health of the
1: American public, all passengers and crew of the ship have been placed under travel restrictions, preventing them from returning to the United States for at least 14 days after they've left the Diamond Princess.
2: Okay. That was a later uh, – that that was later. later one, yeah. All right. But at any rate um, – So we put our suitcases in the hall with the tags on, and they're going to load them on the buses and put them on the appropriate planes. The planes were going, some to Travis Air Force Base and some to uh, Texas, I forget which uh, Texas uh, location. Um, And Jeannie and I put our coats on, put our masks on so we could walk down the hall. We were asked to put a mask on any time we were outside of the room and waited for our turn to board the airplanes about 8. 30 at night, something like that. We got a knock on the door and assumed that was our escort to take us out to the gangway. Mm-hmm. A gentleman who didn't speak English um, said, Regina Hopland. And my wife answered, That's me. And he said, You can't leave. You tested positive. Oh my goodness. So- and of course, she broke down in tears which was uh, unsettling. Was she, uh, was she symptomatic at that point? Absolutely none. Okay. And, and, the, and, the, and the test had been done five days earlier. <laughs> okay. Wow. So I'd, been, so I'd been living with an infected person for a minimum of five days, but yeah. probably for, you know, two weeks. It yep. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, but I, my test was negative. <clears throat> However, I was still living with an infected person for five days after my test, so yep. who knows if I was negative at that point. Right. And a matter of fact... Who knows who that got on those airplanes was or was not infected? Because 14 people, I think that was the first results we got from the test, was back the day we were leaving. Mm-hmm. And 14 people that got on the buses to go to the airport were found by the time they got to the airport that they had positive tests. Then a most amazing activity occurred. Uh, the buses sat on the tar- tarmac for at least three hours, maybe four hours in the middle of the night until about one in the morning, maybe longer. And there were officials outside of the buses shouting at each other. <laughs> and apparently there was a war going on as to whether or not the fourteen people who were positive, they couldn't even find out where they were on the buses, uh, could be get on the airplanes. And finally they said, well we're going to separate those out into a a um isolation Portion of the airplanes. They've and already take been
1: on a bus with all these people.
2: Yeah, they've been sitting on the bus the whole time, etc. <laughs> I'm going to. We have sound effects on it. No! <laughs> so uh, the interesting thing about that bus trip was my cousin was with us, and my cousin and her husband were on the bus. And they called me from the bus, and they said, "We have ladies on this bus that are crying because they have to go to the bathroom, and when they ask what they can do, they are told to stay in their seats." <laughs> Come on! And I said, "If I was on that bus, I'd walk to the front of the bus and I'd pee on the door, and if they oh, if they wanted to try to stop me, I'd pee on them." <laughs> <laughs> I I just am I'm fed up with with uh, with unthinking bureaucrats, yeah. and I I guess that's uh, I I learned that as a child, and and I've sharpened that. Uh, Uh, thought ever since but uh so they had a hard time they were loaded onto cargo planes that were poorly equipped and uh, uh, you know they we had right there within 20 miles of of tokyo we probably had 30 uh planes that that would haul the whole crew you know c5 uh cargo planes but but these were some charter aircraft and they were they were very tight so the flight Back to the U.S., they didn't have any overhead bins to put their luggage in. They didn't have—the uh, uh, seats were very tightly packed, um, and, uh, and and there was no food on board for the 14-hour flight. Mm-hmm. All, mm-hmm. all rather uh, awkward. But they escaped. Yes. And it was a victory. You're right. I assumed that they were going to turn around and come right back, and those people who were not, were able to travel—I think there were two of the Americans at, at that point who were quite sick— and everyone else most of them were all asymptomatic Mm -hmm. and there were many like myself whose partner was uh, found to be positive and chose to stay with their partner had i not chosen that my wife didn't have a phone that was enabled for international calls she didn't even know how to really use the um, cell phone and so we immediately got her phone activated and practiced texting uh facetime uh loaded a a translation program and tried to get her prepared to be possibly isolated also a tracking program so i could find out where she was mm-hmm. and uh and so we spent the next 16 hours doing that meantime we shut our cabin door went back went to sleep that night and um waited i thought well perhaps they're just going to leave us on the boat until we get the second flight here and take us off i assumed that yeah Uh, What I didn't know is there was a war in Washington in which the CDC blocked the second flight to take the rest of the Americans home. And that, that was a disaster. I think there should be some folk who lose their jobs because of this, because at that point there was no question about whether this was spreading on the ship. There were now... Several hundred infected folk, and grow every day. It was a larger number.
1: So your feeling is by by delaying or not um, allowing those people to leave and get off the ship that they were just increasing this breeding ground. Oh, just they, they, yeah, and it, so
2: eventually everybody on the ship would be yeah. uh, would be infected. And of course, I think three days after um, uh, the rescue flight, in fact, the Japanese said that's it this didn't work and they they evacuated the ships to a really secure uh to a secure um quarantine site and uh i was assigned to a dormitory room in waco japan it's w a k o the c o but uh, um and that was a legitimate quarantine okay from that day for the next uh, you and your 12. wife together? No, they my wife went. To, her. Well, she was taken to a hospital. Okay, got it. That was a problem. She was taken off the ship uh, to a terminal building and left there for about three or four hours while they're waiting for other folk to join her. And then four folk who had tested positive. Uh, she said it was an ambulance. It was actually an army vehicle. She she was taken to the uh, Self Defense uh, Force Central Hospital in Tokyo. Uh, and they were let out of that vehicle and into a busy waiting room for an emergency room. And they sat there for two or three hours until they were admitted to the hospital. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I can't make this up. I, I I, think, well, are we sick or are we not? Are we are going to infect people or are we not or whatever? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I had started a media blitz uh, on uh, agreeing to talk to anyone there was a wall street journal report obviously
1: you're here so you'll talk to anyone so oh I, yeah. and i appreciate that <laughs> and i
2: uh, <laughs> no it's not like that i uh, but you're right i now have a different agenda that i want to get to before yep. i yep. talk about it but um the, the intri- intriguing part of that was uh she was then assigned a room with four other folk who had tested positive none of whom were sick um, none of whom had symptoms, mm-hmm. and she actually enjoyed that time. She was with, you know, three other ladies, and although one of them couldn't speak Japanese or English. Uh, she was an Israeli who spake, spoke Yiddish. Nobody knew Yiddish there at all. Wow. So that poor lady was isolated. Oy, and we uh, <laughs> we were able to we were able to have her uh, get on my wife's phone. I put my my cell phone on speaker. We were able to find the cabin. Where her husband was, and so I dialed that on the ship phone, and I put my speaker against the mouthpiece on the ship phone, and she could talk to her husband. Wow! But he couldn't understand that she couldn't hear him. Oh, <laughs> it wow! Was, yeah. It was a rather, but they they uh, um, made noise for a long time, and mm-hmm. finally uh, they were contented, and so we did get some communication going, uh, but it was it was a, a trial and error process. The boat was. Clearly, um, rampantly uh, uh, being infected uh, by a, uh, by an extremely infectious agent with which was very mild in its in its symptoms. Right. The only reason for most that, people, the yeah, the, for most people, it, it, the the only reason that Genie was even infected at all is they started off and they just tested people who were symptomatic, had bad colds, okay. and out of that, about twenty five percent were coming up positive for the COVID virus. Well, then they started realizing that the people at real risk were the elderly and chronically ill. And so they uh, tested people who were over 80 years of age. And I think they had gotten through them by day 12 and were now starting down the line. And I was 75. So I hit the next cutoff. So when they came to test me since Jeannie was 74, she wouldn't have been tested except that they were there anyway, so they uh, they tested test us both. Otherwise, we would have been on that uh, evacuation flight. Yeah. Um, but the process was flawed from the top to the bottom. A GP from a little town in East Tennessee, on day one it was announced, was appalled at the plan, thinking it might last for a day or two till they got a plan in mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Instead, they were going to stick with it. And the CDC's plan was at that point, after 14 days on this ship, Qu- quote quarantine uh, if we weren't all infected at that point then we were going to be allowed to get on a, a commercial airliner and fly back to the u.s and at that point we might have to get a quarantine right now no <laughs> <Right>. uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I i i i i'm not quite sure i'm not quite sure what that plan was but it would have been a disaster mm-hmm. and that was what i described in my con conversation with uh
0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: I'm just looking at the numbers. It says tests of most of the uh, 3,711 people aboard the Diamond Princess confirmed that 634, or 17%, had the virus. 328 of them did not have symptoms at the time of their diagnosis. And of those with symptoms, the fatality ratio was 1.9%. Uh, Of all infected, that ratio was 0.91%. Those 70 and older were most vulnerable, with an overall fatality ratio of about 7.3%. Now, this is different than the numbers we keep hearing, you know, 3%, 6%, 15%, whatever. Uh, And what what this takes into account, though, is all the people who are asymptomatic that tested positive. So that actually, when you take that denominator, and in, and inflate the denominator. Actually, the mortality the, rate the drops. virility
2: virility is less. Right, right, right. And right. in this country as well, the virility is overstated because we have no idea how many people in this country are infected at this point. Right, right, right. Uh, on the boat, we had no idea as well because the test was shown to have uh, a lot of uh, false negatives. Uh, for instance, my wife went to the hospital, and her immediate first test was negative, and oh. and two others that I knew also. Uh, who had tested positive had negative tests. Yeah. She subsequently had positive tests. So the tests were flawed, and the CDC was correct at this level in rejecting the the um, Japanese tests as final, but they, what they're flawed in was not containing it, yeah. getting us out of there. Yeah. And uh, at this point in time, we have vaccines that are available and are in clinical trials. This is an absurdity in a pandemic. We don't have time for clinical trials. We need to put that vaccine to use, especially amongst medical per- personnel, so they can continue to treat right. people who are severely ill. But we've got the CDC, or the as this is the FDA, ho- holding this thing up.
1: Yeah, we reported very early on <clears throat> in this that they had sequenced the um uh, the um, genetic sequence for the spike protein, and then it had turned around and synthesized the spike protein, which for people who are listening that aren't aware, I'll just digress for a second. If you look at an electron microscope of the uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, coronavirus, uh, it's got these little spikes on the outside, and those spikes are the things that attach to these um, uh, angiotensin receptors, and that 's how the um, uh, genetic material from the virus then a- after the uh, the the outer membrane merges with the cell membrane is injected into the cell, and then the cell just gets hijacked and starts making these um, uh, these billions of copies of the virus now. Uh, that spike protein is a great target for us to develop antibodies to our bodies to uh, develop antibodies to and block that uh, virus's ability to uh, uh, latch onto the cells. So when you once you've got those spike proteins, they're not infectious. They are covid you know sars cov2 parts but they're not in you can't get the disease from them that makes a perfect
2: vaccine and we had that week one or two immediately yes and actually it's kind of like having a name tag yes you tell your white cells go after these guys with that name tag exactly right very easy and there i was aware of research being done by dr middleman uh And he had a synthetic protein that would bind to the RDR4 receptor in the white cells. And if you attach any particular um, biologic identity, it can become a vaccine. There you go. Uh, A year and a half ago, he was approached by the military regarding the possible use for anthrax and smallpox. Uh, At that point... I got no more information about it. Now, I have a top-secret security clearance, so uh, if I wanted to dig into it, I possibly might have been able to. But I didn't attempt to. I just assumed that this has become a military project. Well, now, with the COVID virus, I thought, we need to break that out. And so I contacted our top military advisor, um, which help I got from uh, uh, former Ambassador Haggerty. And again, Phil Rowe and and Dr. Uh, Cadillac. These these are some heroes in this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I told him that I thought this was a military project, what could he do? He is the guy that coordinates the Japanese Defense Forces and the U.S. Armed Forces in a threat from North Korea. And he had direct access to the White House. Within an hour, I was talking to uh, the group in the White House that was... Uh, um, uh, that was uh, um, set up to study this uh, under under uh, Vice President Pence and uh, and that that group Dr. Middleman's group was able to present their data on uh, quickly developing a vaccine mm-hmm. the problem is that uh, Dr. Middleman had long ago run out of cash and his his, his research has stalled and uh and it takes a billion dollars to bring a drug to market and he had 10 million dollars which he blew through like a like a kid it's, in it's a nothing. candy store right and uh, so we had Potential vaccines on the on the market. We had Israeli vaccine that had been developed for chicken viruses, uh, which could easily be modified and uh, and used.
1: They were talking about that early on as well. The Israelis said, "Hey, we've got stuff that's analogous to this, and we could maybe have something uh, out here very very quickly." So you're
2: confirming that it's very it's very easy to develop, very hard to get. So it's available. A lot of places in the world, but not in the United States, because we have a bureaucracy which wants to be 100% certain yeah. in an uncertain world where there are fast changing events. We it, talked
1: about the FDA multiple times at,
2: in times that's actually beneficial.
1: For example, thalidomide. You and I thalidomide are is old, old enough to remember mm-hmm. the FDA prevented thalidomide from hitting our shores, and so we didn't have the problems other countries had. So in in those situations, uh, the caution that the FDA shows is warranted. But in a situation like this, you're it, saying in the
2: case with a sedative, it's a hindrance. We could, we, we, we could live with nervous people right, for right, a short right. time. <laughs> right, right, right. But we can't live with dead people right and uh and so even now uh there is a major hold up and uh and i'm most interested because uh, dr phil Rowe is uh, has been on this from the start has uh, announced his retirement from congress and i'm trying to put pressure on phil to delay that for one more one more period to to run again this fall and so that he can use his expertise and and his seniority and his contacts to uh, address this covid virus threat uh it, 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 we need him there now and uh, if someone replaces him it'll be a freshman congressman without those contacts and without his expertise sure. and uh and so we're trying to we're we're trying to push him into let me uh, bite
1: and take, a, take well, this opportunity to mm-hmm. put out a plug Go to roe.house.gov, R-O-E, and when you do that, it says, send me an email. And you can send Dr. Phil Rowe an email saying, please don't retire. We need you to get us through this. And then you can resign. Get us through this, then you can resign. But don't we need you? Because having a seasoned physician, Dr. Rowe has been around for a long, long time, and he understands the problems. Uh, Having a seasoned physician in there and being replaced by, I don't know, the mayor of some small town in in Tennessee, which probably very uh, capable people. But right now we need people with his voice in there. So, r o e dot house dot gov, and send them an email saying, "Hey, we heard you uh, on the radio. Or, you know, heard about you on the radio. Please don't leave. Let's do that. All right. I'll tell you a what, national
2: audience. We're that right. is why I'm here today." My story is is a is an interesting story with twists and turns, but finding blame isn't really the objective. The objective here is it's to fixing it go uh, go forward and right now we can't go forward after we have uh, spent a year or two thinking about it. We need to move quickly yeah. and decisively uh, and I think generally that has been done outside of the bureaucracy yeah. but uh, but it's but it's taken folk. With with courage to take the bit in their teeth and just charge over top of them, and I see the FDA and the CDC as as so deeply flawed in their in their entrenchment, in inability to adapt to the fast changing uh, uh, circumstances. Uh, it was almost like uh, with no plan they were flying by the seat of their pants, and every time they made a decision, they made the wrong one.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I was very frustrated. So what can
1: we do? What can people do who are listening to this right now? Let's let's talk about on a practical level and then
2: more on a political level. Sure, sure. Uh, well, the instructions that we're getting from everyone is social distancing because this virus is extremely um, infectious. That means you can catch it easily from someone. Uh, you can catch it from droplets from a sneeze or a cough. But the sneeze or cough droplets can settle on a surface, and apparently they can live for up to three days on a plastic or a metal surface. Uh, Telephones are probably one of the great ones. People put them right next to their face. Sure. And then they put them right next to somebody else, grabs their phone, and puts them next to their face. Uh, so telephones are probably a great fomite for spreading this uh, infection. Yep. And my listeners know what fomites and, are, by the and way. Fomites are anything that, uh, uh, in which a, uh, a bacteria or a contaminant is located, and then you can pick it up by handling that right. material, which is normally harmless. Yep. Handrails, doorknobs, uh, telephones, uh, dinnerware. There are many things like that. And on the ship uh, you know a uh, buffet line <laughs> oh. that's not one I can hardly giant imagine, know, that, that's that's what you do if you want to infect people sure um, yeah, my our listeners,
1: uh, after 15 years of this show, are very sophisticated and uh, uh, understand fomites and droplet transmission and that kind of stuff, the difference between droplet transmission and airborne transmission. So, that's... you know, they're, uh, uh, we, we disguise this show, by the way. I know you've never listened to it, and that's probably a good thing or you wouldn't have <laughs> come here. But uh, we disguise this show as uh, light comedy, but we give excellent, uh, I think uh, – uh, medical information and teach critical thinking as, as well, or uh, I don't, teach isn't the right word, but uh, advocate critical thinking. But anyway,
2: so so social distancing, uh, so social distancing is critical. Uh, if you're going to get in contact with someone who's got the virus and you don't know who it is, a good way to do that would be to get into a large crowd so you got a good a good choice of people to get you infected. Right. And so stay out of large crowds. Um, I, I've been able to uh, encourage our church, which has a fairly large uh, congregation. Uh, to stop holding services, but to uh, have their services live-streamed. Yep. Uh, and a lot of churches are doing that same thing. In other churches, at least uh, get, getting people to stop hugging and kissing each other in the hallways yep. and, uh, and and even handshaking, uh, I understand that uh, a fist bump will – uh, transmit about 10% as much bacteria How as a we handshake. we don't touch each other? And you know, this the whole handshake came from ancient Greece.
1: I have no weapon. That's right. They, <laughs> I have no weapon. Let's shake hands. If we touch hands, then there's a, you uh, can confirm I don't have a weapon. In 2020, we can throw that one away. It is interesting, though, that this, this started in a place where people don't shake hands, but I do understand. Uh, I mean, uh uh you know, because I've always advocated the bow. Let's just bow to each other or wave or just say hello and we don't have to do anything else. But it's so ingrained in our culture to shake hands or to touch each other or to hug. Uh you know, in Europe they do the double cheek kiss. <laughs> stop
2: it. Let's just stop that. But anyway, so yes. Interestingly enough, as an ER physician. I would fire a doctor working for me if he didn't touch the patient. I know. And uh, there's a reason for that. It was not because the patient was reassured. It was because the doctor then saw that patient as a person rather than as a oh, as an illness or as a problem. Yes. And, uh, and it changes your attitude. And so touch is a very interesting thing, but it ought to be kept between people who uh, really wish to... Uh, uh, make a more intimate communication than than just acknowledging each other. Yeah. I like to say that all human communication, ninety percent of it, is simply this: uh, they talk about the weather, they talk about the clothing, they talk about sports, they talk about most anything. But all it's communicating is, I acknowledge your presence. I mean you no harm. There's nothing else. You can do that with a nod in a in, 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 a, in a in a direct uh, a direct eye contact. Uh, that's why in New York, uh, when people pass on the street, they don't look at each other because they don't want to. The, what they, what they really want to say is pay your cab fare or uh, get out of my way I'm in, in a hurry. <laughs> and so, and so they're not communicating the message, the common message between uh, people who meet in yeah. a casual situation. I do
1: have friends from the city that when they come here, they say everyone's so friendly and they're so friendly. <laughs> but really what it is is we're just willing to look each other in the eye and acknowledge each other.
2: That's what they're reacting to. Why, well, Of course. And you know, the interesting thing is I'd never been called honey by anyone but my wife until I got to Tennessee and, 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 and waitresses and, uh, and uh, casual acquaintances uh, addressed me in that way, and I and I I would blush a little, you know. Yeah. I'm getting over that.
1: I call everybody honey and sweetheart. <laughs> if I have ever moved out of this area, I would be uh, targeted as some sort of uh, some fossil,
2: but yeah, some kind of a dirty old man. Yeah, yeah, ch- yeah that too. <laughs> chasing that the young too. ladies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think the key is here. What we need to do is number one, the bureaucracy needs to drop business as usual. This is not business as usual. We're going to have an economic effect that's going to drastically impact our, um, our country. We need to address those issues, and I think they're being uh, attempted to be addressed, whether it's going to be effective or not is hard to know. Yeah. But folk that own stocks don't sell your stocks when they're down. God, buy, no. George, buy them now. Buy now. It's <laughs> <Now. Just laughs> time to buy. Because when it comes back, it'll come back so fast you'll not get on board. If you've, For our
1: listeners, if you've ever heard of the roaring 20s, that came after the pandemic of 1918. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the stock market, uh, took, every time we've had one of these, the market takes a dip, and then it always comes roaring back. Because fundamentally, there's nothing wrong With the economy, it's uh, fear, but also there are people on uh, certain levels being affected. I just I just gave a waitress at a local restaurant a 100 percent tip because people are not going to the restaurant anymore and they are suffering. You know, she wasn't sure how she was going to pay her rent because she's not making the money and they're sending people home and those kinds of things and um you know uh, there will be those kinds of uh, effects on people it will get better but it's going to be difficult for a while
2: that is a really good point i'm glad you uh, mentioned that because in fact those of us who are uh, capable of doing so right now rather than trying to take advantage of the stock market and uh, and uh, and building an estate which are are uh, heirs will fight over we should perhaps uh be taking care of those folk around us absolutely who aren't as well um situated to absorb this uh this blow absolutely um and uh and and, and it's it, it and my my own experience was i grew up without money and i i thought everyone knew how to live without money i i find that uh that i'm better at it than most yeah um so uh so you need to take care of the folk around you. There are folk who are going to suffer greatly, and they won't come back because they don't have resources to right, come back right. and And the example of a of tipping a, a a waiter waitress uh uh more than you might normally do, I think is a perfect example of how we should act. yeah, agreed. Um, so, if you do
1: find yourself sick, what do you recommend?
2: Right now, we don't have enough testing available to to test. There are commercial tests now, and just uh, came out, but they're they're, they're still yep. not widely available, yep. and uh, and so the, the real cor- key is that
1: LabCorp says anyone can order the test right now. Any physician can order it, or any provider.
2: We, uh, I'm just telling you what they're saying, and that's <laughs> and, and that's what I hear as well. Except that we're not able to do that, and we try, and. We, and uh, the second thing is we need to protect our own employees because uh always if you're going to help others you first have to stay healthy yourself right and uh and we have an obligation to our employees as well as our patients and literally if if we don't make some quick progress on identifying how to safely handle this thing we may have to shut down the largest blue care clinic in the, i think in the whole state of tennessee wow uh and uh and that's and that just doesn't need to happen because it will only happen because of slow regulator uh um, regulator interference. So how do we then speed this process up? What
1: do we need to do? What do we as people need to do? to get the vaccines going, to get the tests uh, going, to sort of cut through some of this uh,
2: bureaucratic malarkey. Well, to provide, we really need to be safe. And the way to be safe is, number one, if you're reasonably healthy. Uh, I hate to say it. There is no smoker I know of that's reasonably healthy. Uh, but aside from that, if you don't have chronic illness or elderly the chance of be getting severely ill is really quite small, mm-hmm. in fact, very small.
1: Probably uh, less than 1% if you have
2: no risk factors. It very, yeah, it's very low. And so what you do is if you have any sign of cold symptoms, fevers, chills, uh, be sure not to visit those folk who are um, at risk. Uh, and so... Uh, the nursing homes right now are, are blocking mm-hmm. visitors, and that's extremely important that they do that, I believe, yeah. um, avoiding uh, crowds in which you might uh, spread your infection to others should you be infected, but mostly is if you think you're infected Rather than panic and worry, uh, it's probably going to be a mild illness, very much like the kind of winter colds many have suffered from. Many of those colds are coronaviruses, which are cousins to this virus. Right. And, uh, and so the key is stay home. Don't, don't socialize so you don't spread the illness. And call a physician to see if they can order a test for you. But it's, it, it's problematic whether or not that will be uh, available for a little while. And uh, and by all means, don't put other people at risk and especially those vulnerable people that we we all have in our social list. If you're
1: going to present to the emergency room, for example, call them ahead and say, hey, I'm you know, I'm pre- I'm coming and I think this is what's going on. So if they can be ready out there with a mask to put on you. Because mm-hmm. The people who should be wearing masks, the people who are sick. Yes. And uh, that helps to prevent uh, the spreading of droplets. Um, We've also talked on this show and uh, be interested in your take on it. Uh, For those people that can't stop touching their stupid faces with their fingers, a mask for them is actually quite Keeps their hands
2: off their face. Yeah, they ought to put a a ball cap on as well. Yeah,
1: (laughs) sure. And it can be any – for those people, it can be any kind of mask, a surgical mask. You don't need to steal the N95 mask Mm -hmm. from the hospital. Uh, if you're one of those people who can't keep your fingers out of your face, any kind of mask will do. A painter's mask, you can wrap a, a T-shirt around your face. <laughs>
2: uh, that, that is uh, precisely true, because to avoid infecting yourself, every time you touch a surface that someone else may have touched, any time within the last three days, yep. yeah. uh, you need to wash your hands, you need to not rinse your hands in cold water you need to use soap and water and stand there and sing happy birthday four times uh about yeah. 30 to 40 seconds worth at least and if you and and hand sanitizer is the next best it's not the best it's the next best soap is the best the soap and far. water and, and a reasonable scrub but if every time you touch a surface someone else may have touched it as mm-hmm. 3 days my word your hands would be uh uh, uh, <laughs> you won't have any fingerprints left. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but wash your hands frequently. Keep them out of your face. That's for your own safety. For the safety of the others, if you sneeze or cough, cough into your uh, into your arm, a handkerchief isn't the best thing because you handle it with your hands again, and then you touch things with your hands. Right. Um, but try not to leave potential germs around for other people to contact, especially in the form of a, a cough or a sneeze, which can settle on surfaces and stay viable. Uh, I understand that the tests have shown this virus can be viable up to three days in a droplet form. Yeah. On a, I've on seen a under surface.
1: special circumstances nine days, but three is probably yeah. the, the most common on things like plastic and uh metal that doesn't uh, reach a certain temperature.
2: Cell phones so. are cell phones are beauties, uh computer keyboards are other beauties. Oh, yeah. If you're at a shared uh computer, uh you can't clean that computer, so when you're done with the computer don't don't rub your nose, uh wash your hands. Right. Very good. Anything else
1: you've got to tell us before we uh close out for the day?
2: All I can say is the the folk in the time Diamond Princess were assigned an impossible task by bureaucrats in the Japanese Health Ministry who were not physicians. Japanese physicians were appalled at it. Yeah. When the uh, when they evacuated the ship, finally our CDC said, "We're going to make you take another fourteen days of of uh, 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 um, quarantine from the day you left the ship." My my, my quarantine was reset three times. <laughs> wow, uh, and. Uh, and so they admitted that it was a failure late but still never really admitted that they just uh it, 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 it's it, it it's a frustration to me that they didn't move quickly they didn't see the facts in front of them when they saw the facts they pretended that they weren't real yeah. uh and uh and I think we need to demand more of of our public uh uh, uh bureaucratic servants so write your
1: congressman and demand Uh, quicker action on these things would that Uh, be something you would recommend that
2: would be and it has to be a knowledgeable congressman because most congressmen unfortunately even our president was taking his marching orders from the cdc who stated we are the experts we know how to handle this trust us whenever somebody says trust me trust me (laughs) trust me by the time they said it the third time i put my earplugs in and don't even listen to what they're saying because i know they don't know what they're talking about
1: All right, my friend. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad that you are safe. I'm glad your wife's okay. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. I think this is going to be um, um, uh, an ongoing issue, and I think the things that you've said today are going to be helpful to a lot of people. So thank you well, so much. I appreciate Dr. Uh, Arnold Hoplin, general practice in East Tennessee, and going to be uh, pretty much on the national, uh, national um um, what's the word I'm
2: looking for? Scale. Speak, yeah. Platformer speaking platformers. Platform. For thank <laughs> you. Pretty soon, you've got a book coming out as well. Uh, yes. Uh, it, it, the intent of the book initially was I hoped I'd get out fast enough so it could be affect policy. Yeah. Events are un, un, uh, unfolding so rapidly. By the time the book is published, it's going to be a historical novel, not a <laughs> uh, not yeah. a. Uh, directly relevant. But it'll be interesting to see what happened. And as we evaluate what went wrong, we can maybe do some proactive uh, uh, planning. Next time, it may be a virus that is not uh, only infectious, but also highly lethal. Should that happen, it's a potential of a virus that is as infectious as this one and lethal could literally take out a third of the world's population in a period of of three, four, five months. And there's no time in three, four, five months to do uh, double blind studies uh, uh, about what we're going to do about it. You have to do things rapidly.
1: Well, maybe this is an opportunity for us to learn. There's still going to be tragedy with this virus. There will be. But uh, maybe uh, this is an opportunity for us to learn how to have a more rapid response to these things so the future tragedy will be uh, mitigated somewhat.
2: You know, on another hopeful note, um, we've had a rather um, uh, rank, uh, uh, a lot of rancor in our political discourse. And there's nothing that can turn enemies into friends as much as having a common enemy. And if we can bind together to defeat this microscopic enemy, it might uh, promote... Uh, uh, more, uh, uh, more positive uh, relationships between people who have different worldviews and have a hard time accepting uh, folk who don't uh, see eye to eye to them on, on policies and procedures.
1: Well, it's an equal opportunity
2: infector. It doesn't uh, look at which side of the aisle you're on. Well, I'll tell you what. This uh, I've I've enjoyed this conversation a great deal. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank and you for being I, here. I, I hope that uh, that people are reassured by the fact that most people don't get very sick. Yeah. And that is a very reassuring feature.
1: It's very reassuring to me, given that I'm in the higher risk group at my age.
2: I, you've got a few on me. I'm No, I'm not actually in a high-risk group, though, because, see, I'm only 21. Now, I've had 54 years' experience of being 21. His hair
1: just turned white from the uh, being yeah. on the Diamond
2: <laughs> That's just bleach from the sun. I lay out in the sun a lot.
1: <laughs> well, thanks to everyone at SiriusXM whose steadfast support of this show has sustained us over the years, particularly Lewis Johnson, Jim McClure, Sam Roberts, James Norton, Travis Teft, Troy Henson, Paul Offcharsky, and Roland Campos. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap and listen to our podcast at riotcast.com or wherever podcasts are found. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses and get some exercise. And I'm also going to add wash your hands and we'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.